Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you in the house of the Lord. This morning, as, as we've talked about here recently, most of these sermons are stuff I'm dealing with, uh, that, especially since I go into these building projects and things. It's just me and God having these enormous conversations and just wrestling stuff out. And so I'm going to share with you this morning what me and God are talking about most of this week, which was just simply this. Why do you follow Christ? If I were to ask you, why do you follow Jesus? Why? I I didn't say, why do you not believe in him? That's that's not what I'm talking about. There's a lot of people that just believe in Jesus, and and there's people we can go find at Walmart today, and we can find hanging out today, or we can find at the Rez today, or we can find, and they'll tell you, I believe in Jesus. But why are you here today? Why are you sitting in this room when friends of yours are not? Why are you following and, in fact, get frustrated why other people don't follow? Why is it that you are following Jesus? And when I'm working and doing things, I ask myself that. Me and the, I hate to say it sometimes, the enemy walks into one of those rooms out there and he just says, can we talk? And, and, and it's like, why are you doing this? Why, why are you following? Why? Why don't you just enjoy life? I mean, you're going to be dead in 10 or 20 years. You ain't got that much time. Enjoy life. You, you, you may be dying now. Don't know it. You need to enjoy it. Enjoy your life. Why are you doing this? Why are you following someone who lived 2,000 years ago, didn't live past 33 years old, didn't have a ministry that lasted no more than three years, called himself the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Died. They say he rose from the dead. You've never met him. Why do you follow him? I mean, I know that sounds like, well, we don't want to talk about that this morning, but we're at church. But the whole purpose is, why are you doing it? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you go? A common approach to the Bible and to God and to the Lord, all that today is, is simply this. When we look at our regular world, it, it's, it's that you know what you want to do and you know what you already believe. You just need to find the right scriptures and the right church and the right place that backs it up, right? Because we already have our own lifestyle. We already have our own way of truth. We already know what we believe is right. And, you know, you may believe this, but I believe this. We, we already have all of that. We really don't want to mess with anything that we're believing. We just need a good church, or we just need a good pastor, or we just need a, a good air cadet. We just need a place to go, but nothing it changes our life. And so sometimes when we actually get into church, it can become confusing because the sermons you may hear or things that you may are challenging you to do what? Change. Well, that's not what I signed up for. In fact, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 14. And if you want to go to even to the extreme, in Mark 14, verse 53 through 64. In other words, I know what I want to do. Now, now find me a way to get there. I know what I already want to do, and I already know where I want to be. I already know what I believe. Just help me get there. 
And the source of these problems come from our already our desires that we want to have. They can come from childhood church experiences of, of, of just that's the way we were taught. They could be emotional. You know, Brother Lot, I, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, God understands. We're so caught into the emotion of something. Sometimes we have a personal agenda. You know, I, I, I would forgive them, but then I wouldn't be able to punish them. And, the, and being able to look at them ugly every time they walk by lets them know they did me wrong, and therefore I'm not going to let that go. Some of us have personal agendas to, to hold things in place. L- listen to the extreme. Here's what the Bible says. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests. So these are all the men who are supposed to be godly men, who are making godly decisions, who are supposed to be following God. That, that, they are the priests, the, the people that are supposed to be building bridges between God and man. And with them were assembled, and the elders, so these are the, the people of wisdom, these are the people that are supposed to be people who make good decisions, and scribes, people who know the word, people who spend their life studying the word. But Peter followed him from a distance. <laughs> kind of seems strange that you got all these high and mighty people, and then it mentions, oh, and Peter, he's just kind of staggering along behind, staying out, out of sight in the shadows right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus. In other words, they already had an agenda. It didn't say they they were just wanting to find out what was going on. It didn't say that they were just trying to find the truth. It says that now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to do what? So they already had an agenda. Here's what we want to accomplish. I know what I want. I know what I already want. I just need to find a way to get there. And these are religious people. But found. So what do you do if you can't find it? What do you do if if you have an agenda but it won't work. What do you do if, if you believe something, but it's not right? Even though you may have believed it for 30 years. These are 60, 70-year-old men. They've believed it for 60 years, and yet they're wrong. They can't find anything. There's nothing here. We found nothing against him. Listen to what it says. What do you do? For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. One said one thing, and the other lied about something else, and the other come up with something else, and they couldn't find two people to come up with the same story. Then some rose up and bore false witness, saying against him, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimonies agree. So they had, look at the person beside you, nothing. The problem is, is that I already have a theology. I already have something I want. I just can't find enough facts to get it there. But not even then. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, do you answer nothing? Well, I mean, Jesus could have looked at him and said, is there anything to answer? I mean... But Jesus doesn't. 
Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? He could have said, nonsense, but he doesn't. That's what it says. But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? At this moment, Jesus speaks. I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. In other words, automatically I'm not going to believe it even if you tell it to me. Even if I ask the question, I already have my own agenda, I already have my own mind made up, I already know exactly what I'm believing. The moment you say it, see, told you what he would say. Told you he thought he was the son of God. Oh, I know he walked on water. I know he healed people. I know he raised raised a few dead folks. I know he's done some great things. I know thousands have been fed by him. But come on, let's be real. That does not line up with my theology. Because my Messiah is supposed to come with all this power, and he's going to overthrow Rome. I've already got it figured out. He's just not lining up with what I already believe. If he was really the Messiah, he would have this army with him. We we would already be free. He would be destroying Caesar. I mean, if he were who he says he was, he'd be doing it my way. In fact, if I carry you around to Walmart and I take you to the golf course and I take you two different places, the res, The same answer for every reason every one of those people who say, I know the Lord or believe in the Lord or not following the Lord is always the same. Somewhere in life, he is not doing what I want him to do. So therefore, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in him. I like him. And when I'm sick, I want him to heal me but I'm not following him because what I want is different than what he wants. You've heard it, this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of just because he answered their question. In fact, we find this all the time. So when we talk about when we talk about this modern bumper sticker theology that we have today, can we just call it a bumper sticker theology? That's the easiest way to describe it. Well, what do you mean, brother, when you say bumper sticker? This, this, what it means is, it means a shallow understanding of faith issues that's tied to a simplistic one-line phrase. Does that make sense? In other words, it's a simplistic version of what I know about God. What I learned when I was in VBS 42 years ago, I got my one-liner, and I've been living by my one-liner, and I don't care if I'm 82 now, it doesn't matter, I'm still living by the one-liner. I've learned no more, I've grown no more, I've experienced no more, I haven't stretched anymore, because really that's not what following or knowing Jesus is about. It's not about following, it's just about do you know him? In fact, people will ask that. Instead of, are you following him? They just ask you the simple question. Do you know Jesus? Well, the only way to know him is the way he would describe it because he walks by Peter and James and John and Matthew. And what does he do? He said, would you want want to know me? No. He walks by them and says, 
follow me. Because you can't know me unless you follow me. Unless we go through the experiences together. Some of the one-liners that we hear are things like this. God loves you. I mean, that's easy, isn't it? We just tell everybody, God loves you. Hear that a lot. That's deep theology. I mean, you can tell that to two-year-old, 82-year-old. God loves you. How about this one? God will forgive. You know, he really just wants you to be happy. Let me give it to you in, in this term. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Does that be better? How about living together? Just living together. Two people decide, we're just going to live together. In fact, they'll look at you in a godly way and they'll say things like, we're living together because we don't want to get divorced. Now, really, that's true because God doesn't want you to get divorced. You know, Brother Lot, we're planning to get married anyway, so we just thought it would be a lot cheaper and God wants us to be thrifty with our money. Really? You know, there's also lines in there that God doesn't want you to be sexually active before you're married. Well, now that doesn't align with the way me and Susie like to live. So we're just going to accept this version, this one-liner, and we're just going to move on with life. How about an exorbitant, an expensive lifestyle? I've been blessed. I mean, that's that's great, ain't it? For a lot of just, been, I've just been blessed. Yes. That is a godly thing. It's wonderful that God has brought financial blessings to your life. But that's not so that you can live some ridiculous lifestyle. Ultimately, all that belongs to God. And God, on the other side of that, says, be careful what you sow into. Be careful what you do with your finances. Because you came naked into this world and you're going to leave naked. You came in broke, and you're going to leave broke. And the only thing that will ever be of any value in your life will be what you store up in heaven. And the only way to store it in heaven is to invest it on earth. Oh, that's in the Bible? Yeah, I know it messes old thing up. How about, how about this one? Forgiveness. God will forgive. Yes. God forgives. But at the same time, forgiveness should not include it should include genuine repentance. And repentance from my sin and a desire to change from the sinful life that I have. That's part of the Bible too. Oh, well, I don't like that part. I just like the fact that no matter how much I mess up and how much I keep doing it every weekend, I can always say, No, God knows, I'm sorry. See, the problem is, is that we already come into this Christian walk with our, with our mind already set on what it is that we want. And it really becomes hard to keep a Christian lifestyle. And what I mean by that, by following Jesus. And that's when God and me are having this conversation when he's looking at me saying, why do you follow me, Tim? 
Not, not why you believe in me, why do you keep following me? In fact, in my life, he's even given me this, this mindset of, look, I'm going to prepare you for following me. If you're going to prepare yourself for following me, then, then you need to know. Because what, what you miss then and when you're trying to do all this is this deeper truth that God's trying to get across to you, trying to teach you. Go with me in your Bibles to Luke 9, and verse 50, start at verse 57. In fact, he even warns us early. I, I didn't join the church until I was 18 years old. My dad was a minister, and I wouldn't join the church. You have to understand my, my mindset. If I say I'm going to do something, it is not a matter of whether it will get done. It's just whether I can live to do it. So, so when I looked at the Bible for years and believed in Jesus, I believed in Jesus when I was young, but I didn't follow Jesus. Anybody like that? I was for several years. From the age of 9 or 10 years old, I was struggling with this, oh, he wants me to do that. I, I can't do that. Lord, I know I love you, but I can't do that. I, I, I can't quit. And so I, I went through this season of him looking at me and saying, will you follow me? And I'm like, Lord, I believe in you. I'm like Peter sitting there on the bank when Jesus says, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Darn, you know I don't like them people. And he comes back again, do you love me? You know I love you. And feed my sheep. Oh, it's always with the sheep, always with the sheep. And I understand Peter. In fact, Jesus even ends the conversation, not by saying, Peter, you got it. He ends the conversation by telling Peter, Peter, there's coming a day when you go where you wouldn't want to go. And I'm thinking like, Peter, yeah, that'll be the day. I ain't going nowhere I don't want to. He says, there's coming a day, Peter, you'll, you'll go where you wouldn't go. Somebody will lead you by the hand, and you'll go where you wouldn't go yourself. Jesus gives us these warnings. Listen, he puts this in the Bible, and here's what it says. Now, it happened as they were journeying on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds good. Listen to what Jesus said. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his. What he's telling him is, number one, if you're going to follow Jesus, Tim, if you're going to be serious, you better count the cost. This man who walks away, Jesus looks at him and says, let's look at this. You're going to follow me wherever I go, right? Right. Well, let just know tonight I will be sleeping outside into the stars or under the rain. I have nowhere. I own nothing. I have nothing. I possess nothing. I'm just doing the will of God. So if you're going to follow me, we're just going to follow God, and that's all that we're going to do. You better count the cost. That's the reason I fought it so hard. I didn't even want to be a minister. I ran all the way to Birmingham, Alabama, fighting it. Why? Because I knew the cost. I knew that I'd be living in a house in a town that I I didn't pick, that God picked. I knew I'd be preaching to people that I didn't know if I like them or not, but that's where God put me. I knew that all of that time would be counting the cost of saying it's not your life anymore. I'm going to guide it. I'm going to direct it. And Tim, you got it right now. But if you choose to follow me, I'm not making you follow me, but if you choose to, 
We better count the cost. The second person comes. Listen. And then he said to another, follow me. Now notice now, he didn't say believe in me. He's not saying, do you, do you believe in me? No, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Boy, that's tough. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Number two, you better consider your priority. What's the most important thing to you in life? I've missed so many things. For that cause right there. Because the most important priority in my life is the kingdom. Do you love your family? I love my family. And in all possible, everything I can possibly do to make their lives wonderful, I do it. But my heart and my life was given away long ago. My priority in life is not to live to 80 I don't care if I die in one of those buildings building it as long as I'm building his kingdom. I don't care if I die broke. I don't care what anybody says about me. I don't care if I ever have anything written about me or I don't care. It's only one priority. And the most important thing in my life is to preach the kingdom, to live the kingdom, to show the kingdom. Out of all these years I've lived in front of you, hopefully that's what you've seen. Hopefully that you have seen in my life. So he looks at someone else. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're going to follow me, you better be clear of the distractions in your life. Some of us in this room can't follow him because oh, I've got so much other stuff and so many other things. And it would be hard to let all that go, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to just say, I don't care about none of that. I'm just going to do one thing, and I'm going to do one thing well. I'm going to follow Jesus. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow, no one starting and following me, but always will ever accomplish much in the kingdom. Why we got to do this? Why, why we got to, I mean, no other body has to do this. Why do we have to do it? Always looking back. Always asking why. It's like those people in your car when you're driving and they're like, how much further? Why we got to go this way? This seems like the longest way. Why don't we go the other way? It's, it's like you just want them to hush. And God says the kingdom will get very frustrating if you do it this way. Go with me in your Bibles to John 6. And let me show you it even at another level. 
I showed you the extreme level of the Pharisees who already have their minds made up. And I'm not saying anybody in here is that extreme. Hope you're not wanting to hate on Jesus, but maybe we're more struggling where these people were, where it's like, I want to follow you. I'd like to follow you. Whew. But that's costly. Where we normally fall into and where we normally get distracted and have our major problems is because of, like I said before, the emotions or the different things that hit us in our flesh. And because of that, it's easier to put Jesus in that category than it is to just let him be the one who leads us. Let me show it to you. In John 6, verses 66 or 60 through 69, here's what it says. Begin at verse 60. We'll just catch it there. 60 through 69. There we go. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, this is a hard saying. Now, you have to understand, at this time, he had over 70 disciples. He didn't have 12. He had 70 plus. And at this time, not just the people who were around him, but his own disciples, when they heard these sayings, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? It is the Spirit. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Now that's crazy because these are disciples. How can you be a disciple and not believe? Because you don't have the ability to follow. And the only way to follow, he says, is that you must do this in the spirit and not in your flesh. You can't reason out that, well, this is worth it. You know how we tell people, oh, we need to get our kids back in church. You know, we need to get back in church as a family. Why? It's usually not because you're wanting to follow Jesus. It's usually because, boy, our whole house is messed up right now. We got Junior over here doing this, and we got this on crack, and we got this problem. We need to get our family back in church. Because really what we're wanting is God to fix something that we can't fix not going to church. I'm not saying anybody's here for that reason this morning. I'm just saying it happens. Because what we do is we already have a criteria. We already have a place that Jesus fits. We just need him to do what we need him to do. And the disciples were no different. These are the same people watching him feed people, take care of people, heal people. And yet at the same time, he looks at them and says, Some of you don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now, we always talk about, well, if I saw Jesus, if I could see Jesus, can I tell you something? You would be no different than you are right now. I know that sounds hard for you to believe, but you would be no different than you are right now 
hearing my message than you would that if you just were sitting there watching Jesus in his little blue robe and, and walking around in sandals and healing people and praying for people and sleeping outside. You would be the same because whatever it was that you did not get in the flesh then, you wouldn't get now. If discomfort bothers you now, then it would bother you then. If not getting your way bothers you now, it would bother you then. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Who do you also, or do you also want to go away? Then he turns to his most closest group and he says, Do you want to leave too? And it's, I love the way he asked the question because he didn't say, are you going to leave? He said, do you want to leave? And there's a lot of times I look at God, me and him was in that shed out there the other day, and I was looking at him and I said, yeah, I want to leave. Yeah, I want to leave. You're like, that's not the way to believe. No, no, it's fine. That doesn't bother God because that's not the reason I'm following him. Jesus asked the question, do you want to leave? Has God ever done something that you just didn't like? Has God ever not answered a prayer the way you wanted it answered? Has God ever done something? There's a lot of times in your life that you're going to come across moments and you're going to say, I quit. That's it. That's it. I'm through. But Simon answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? See, what keeps bringing me back is this mindset. You have the words of eternal life. Notice that chapter 6 begins with Jesus feeding 5,000 people. I don't want you to think that, that this starts with like just a bad day. It's been a bad day of ministry. Nobody got healed at the altar. No, no, this story what I've just read to you starts in chapter 6 with all 70, 80, 100 disciples standing around watching Jesus feed with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. 5,000 people. That's how the story begins. You would think, if I saw that, man, I would believe in Jesus. I would believe. Yes, you would. The question is, why would you believe in Jesus? And what would you be believing him for? I'll show you why they believed him and what they were believing him for. Go with me in your Bibles to verse 24. Here's what it says. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Oh, man. I'm telling you, man, they loved Jesus. They loved Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the... Those were spiritual. To see signs is to see spiritual. But because you ate the loaves and were... The only reason you're following me is because I fed you. One of the worst ministries and greatest ministries you'll ever start is a food pantry. It's one of the greatest ministries 
and one of the worst ministries you'll ever start is benevolence. Just, just saying. If you want to start one, just understand. It'll be the most miserable time and the most happy time you'll ever have. Because right at the same time you're feeding people, just understand the only reason they're coming is because you're... And you're going to think, boy, they're going to get the spiritual touch on this. And they're thinking, when's supper? I don't even like this stuff anymore. Why can't I have the other stuff? I'm feeding you. I don't like that kind of chicken. I like it baked. I'm like, you haven't eaten two days and you're getting chicken and you're mad? Oh, it'll frustrate the stew out of you. You just want to just take that chicken and just like, just shoot you. You're going to eat that chicken. It's the greatest and the most frustrating ministry. And Jesus is sitting right there. He just fed 5,000. They follow him on the other side with the boats. You're thinking they're going to be like, oh, Jesus, we love you. They come to the other side. Where are you going? Where you been? How did you come over here? And Jesus just cuts it. He just says, assuredly, you seek me not because of signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. But do not labor for the food which perishes. He's trying to get them to move from a flesh to a spirit. He says, you've got to follow me. Will there be food along the way? Absolutely. My children won't go begging for bread. I'll take care of that. That's promises. But it comes because why? You're seeking food, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So what was this problem that they were having? Well, go with me to verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never hunger. First, verse 41, the Jews went, then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from, verse 48, I am, you kind of getting a theme, I am the bread of life. I'm not wonder bread. I'm not blue bunny bread. I'm not whole wheat. I'm not rye. I am the bread of life. And you must follow me to eat this bread. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. That's why in verse 60, we have this enormous problem. Because they have to make a decision, not whether they believe in Jesus. I mean, you can't, you've got to believe in Him. He just fed 5,000 people. The question is, will I follow Him? And to follow Him, it can't be a fleshly thing because you're probably sometimes not going to get what you like. See, I, I want to follow Jesus because he'll, he'll always make sure I don't have any financial problems and always pay all the bills and then I'll always you know, live in a... Can't promise that. In the chaotic world that we live, in the messed up world that we live, I can't promise somebody won't hurt you, something won't happen, something won't... 
That's not the bread. Well, I, I, you know why I go to church? I just want God to bless me, and I just want to stay. God to bless me with health. and God. To, what are you going to do if you're in church and you're the one sick? And we've prayed, and I believe in healing, and I, I believe in all of that, and I've laid hands, and we've anointed you all, and God has said, nah, not this time. If you got in church because God's going to keep you healthy and happy and all of this, and all of a sudden you're the one sitting there sick, it's going to be real hard to trust him. I got in church because I just want to be happy, brother. I was so miserable when I would. You can be miserable sitting in church. You can have all the types of stuff. And so... Jesus has fed 5,000. He's told them, I'm the bread of life. And then by verse 60, we see many of his disciples that said, this is a hard saying. I mean, how, how hard? All you got to do is die. Follow him. That's a hard saying, brother. I mean, if I was to ask you today, just die and follow him. Think about all the things you'd have to change or walk away from or quit loving or it'd be harder than you think wouldn't it people that you couldn't hang around anymore because the way they act and what they kind of drag you into that you're going to follow him instead of anybody or any other theology you're just going to follow him you can see the dilemma it wouldn't matter if jesus was standing here this morning or you were standing there it wouldn't make any difference the question is always the same it has been the same for two thousand years why do you want to follow me? I know why you believe in me. Because I died for your sins. I know why you believe in me. But why do you want to follow me? And there's only really two answers to this. In verse 68 and 69, we have it. But Simon Peter, this is the same Simon that even though he's been arrested by, remember, and we read the very first scriptures in and, and Mark, and, and he's been carried by the high priest, and, and Peter does what? He's, he's still just sneaking around following Jesus. Why? Why is, he, why is he going to Caiaphas? He knows he could possibly get arrested. He knows if they, they find out he's one of those disciples, they're wanting to arrest all of them. So... Why would he take the risk of walking to Caiaphas' house? Why would he take the risk of getting by the fire with everybody else and just kind of sitting there? We know how it turns out because he denies Jesus three times that night. He, he, he's like, uh, uh, I know you're one of them. I ain't never met the man. Another person walks up. I know you're one. No, not me. In fact, a little girl asks him. He starts cussing. But he can't quit following. Why? What's in him that even though things don't go the way he wants and life sometimes throws a curve that I didn't expect or God chooses a path that I wouldn't choose for myself, why do I keep following when others are smart enough seemingly to walk away they look like they're doing great? Why do I keep following? Peter says it in two lines. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, 
to whom shall we go? In fact, go with me to Matthew 16, 13 through 17. We'll add this in there because it's given in a different way. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Or the son of man? So they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now think, think now, while Jesus is asking this question, he's done fed 5,000. All the disciples aren't sure. They're following because they know there's something here, but I'm not sure what it is. He said to them, but who do you, because that's important, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to them, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not... That's why you can't just preach a sermon and ask someone to come up and make a declaration of faith to God. That's why you can't just have a VBS and just say, we're just going to just line them up and count them. How many, raise your hand if you won't believe in Jesus. Raise your hand. Listen to me very carefully. The flaw in the Christian church today is simply this. It's not that we're not preaching better good messages. It's not that we're not singing great music. It's not, it's one flaw. It's that we're trying to do in our flesh what can only be done in your spirit. That's all. We celebrate Jesus at Easter. We celebrate Jesus at, at Christmas. We, we, we celebrate Him. We sing. We do all the stuff. We got TV programs. We got concerts. We got. But what we're doing is, is we're trying in the flesh to keep something alive that's not designed to be lived out of the flesh. That's why we have to keep having so many revivals, because we got to keep reviving our flesh. That's why we have to keep bringing in all this special. That's why we have to watch so much stuff. That's why some of you have to listen to so much Christian radio and so much of this and so much that. Not because it's just like feeding you. It's because it's keeping you alive. It's because of this problem right here. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not or could not reveal that to you. But my Father who is in heaven. The only way you can know I am the Christ. The only way you can know I am the Son of God. The only way you can know it. Is that God's Spirit has to reveal that to you. And sometimes you're in a room and you're the only person that knows it. You may be in a crowded room and a lot of people that say, Oh, I love Jesus, we love Jesus. And you're the only one who knows it. That he actually is the Christ. Now go back with me to John 6, 68. And let's look at it from this way. And we'll break it down into these two things. But Simon Peter answered said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Number one, here's what Peter understood. Is that Jesus was the Holy One of God. Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He was not just somebody who went around like Elijah and did miracles or somebody like one of the prophets. He was different. He was the actual son of the living God. 
He says, I, 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 I at times get frustrated and I don't want to follow you. But you are God. Think about that. You can't follow anything else because there's nothing else that you could follow. I all the time don't always like what he asks or where he wants me to go or how he wants me to do it, but he's God. And I'm not. I like the way that one fisherman said it. And, and it was on a commercial and I loved it. He said, you, see, you know the difference between me and God? And they were like, what's the difference between you and God? I sometimes think I'm him, but he never thinks he's me. Sometimes I think I'm God. Sometimes I think I get to choose and I get to go and that's my choice. And sometimes I think I'm God. But he never thinks he's Tim Lot. He never thinks that. Because he is God. The second thing that Peter understood was that he was the one who spoke truth. Not some truth. Not my truth or your truth, just truth. He says, I can't go anywhere else. There's nowhere else for me to go because you're God. And everything that you say is truth. And everything that you speak is right. And there's no flaw in it. Think of what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He just answered their question. They just asked one simple question. Are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Peter could have stood up then and just said, let me answer that for you. But Jesus stands there and in the only time he defends himself or gives any reply, he doesn't answer all the accusations. He doesn't answer all the false witnesses. He doesn't ask, answer this. But when he asks him that one question, are you the Christ? He says, I am. I am. And not only am I, but I want you to realize that I will be seated on the right hand of power. Oh, and if that ain't enough, just know I will be coming back in the clouds of glory. And you will see me. Yes, I am. And so even though there's times when I don't understand God, and there's times I don't have all the answers, and there's times I can't figure it all out, it's a pretty simple plan. My flesh doesn't like it. It's not supposed to. I have to crucify it every day. But in my spirit, I know something that a lot of people don't know. I know He is the Christ. See, the biggest question you'll ever answer today, is He Christ? Or was He just somebody that lived a few years ago or somebody died or some, some story that they wrote? Is it, or is He who He says He was? And you can't figure that out. You can't reason that out. The Spirit just taps you and says, it's true. That's who He is. And you, like every other disciple that's ever come along, will have to make a decision of whether or not you will believe it. In fact, the Bible says it plainly. It says, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Explain it. I can't. 
Tell me how it works. I can't. I can only tell you that I know. I know. My Redeemer lives. I know. He's coming again. I know. That nothing on this earth that I ever gain, accumulate, have will matter any. Only what I do for Him because what I do in this world is a blip on the screen compared to the eternity I will share with Him. That I know. And therefore, whatever truth, whatever things He's spoken, whatever things He's told me to do, whatever ways He's told me to live, I do it. By His strength, by His power, by His authority, by His Spirit that lives in me, who guides me, I do it. I stumble. I have to get up. I'm flesh. I I make mistakes. But I don't lay there. Because I know I have a destiny. So that's what I wrestled with this week. Do you know it, Tim? Do you know why you're doing what you're doing? Do you know why you're out here? Do you know why you're studying to preach a sermon this Sunday? Do you you know why? Why do you follow me? If I was to ask you that today, why are you following Jesus? What would you say? Will you stand? With every head bowed, if you're in this room today and what I have said to you has been something that you wrestle with, because if, if you say you believe in Jesus, sooner or later you will have to wrestle this out. It will be comfortable to find a place in your life to just settle, I believe, It will be easy to find a place in your life where you can just hunker down and say, well, I believe in the Lord. That's all I needed to say. But it will be a life journey, a journey that will require growth and will require change and will require Him not always doing the way you think He should do, but always trusting. We call that a follower. In fact, we're called to not believe in Jesus. We're called to believe on Jesus. To believe on me. Maybe you're in this room today and that's been a struggle for you. To believe on Him. Not in Him. Brother Lott, I've heard about Jesus since I was a kid. I, I know the stories. I believe in Jesus. I know that. But when he comes by, what he's doing is, is he's saying these simple words, follow me. And for a lot of people in our world, that's hard. Because we have so many other things that take up our time and our energy and our mind. But Jesus is coming by right now. Some of you, he's talked to through this sermon, and he's coming by right now and he's asking you, not will you believe 
in me. Will you believe on me? Will you follow me? Will you do life with me? Will you let me teach you my way? Will you let me show you a better way? Will you follow me? And maybe there's somebody in this room today that I'm not here to bother you, not here to pray for you this morning, lay hands on you this morning. This is just you and God. The acknowledgement that, that I want to follow him, I haven't done well at that, Brother Lot. I believe in him. I, I, I know all the... But I want to follow him. I want to know him. I want to experience him in ways I never have. Even though I know it'll be hard, even though I know it will require commitment, it'll require, I want to do it. Because I don't want to just hear about him. I want to walk with him. And if that's been what God's been speaking to you, then acknowledge that this morning. Step out from where you are, just walk down to this altar. Nobody's going to bother you. Just raise your hands and say, Father, I accept a challenge. I've counted the cost. I know there's things that will have to change. I know, I know there's a commitment. I know that that's okay, Lord. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I don't want to just hear other people's stories. I want my own story. And I will follow you. Not because of what you can give me, but because of two things. You are the Christ. There is none other. There's no other God. You're it. And your words are truth. There's no lie in them. There's no false in them. And I will line my life as I follow you to those words. Father, this morning for that person that's always wanted to go beyond just church. God, I challenge them right now. I challenge them to make the step that God, I had to make a long time ago. But looking back, it was the greatest step I ever made. Quit fighting, just believing in you and to believe on you. Father, this morning, I praise you and I thank you for it. I pray that every person in this room is a follower. Not just a hearer, but a doer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, go give that devil fits next week.